give our lives to the Lord, our heart begins to change. And you know this. When you don't know Jesus, your heart is selfish. Now, you can know Jesus and still have a selfish heart, but your heart begins to shift. It begins to change. We start to love people. We start to desire to help and to minister. But our ministry is not just reserved to natural efforts and things that we can do. Because there is this yearning inside of us, and I'm sure you've all felt it before, to do more than is humanly possible. There are needs that we want to meet, things that we want to say, places that we want to go, and people that we want to help. But humanly speaking, we all reach a place of limitation, and we recognize, I can't go beyond the threshold. And it's not just a matter of comfort it's, or a matter of willingness, but it is a matter of ability. There's a yearning inside of us by, that's given by the Spirit of God to do things that you and I just cannot do, naturally speaking. But that yearning is actually from the Holy Spirit. We want to be like Jesus, but Jesus just wasn't a man that walked around that did nice things and was a nice person and wanted to make people nice. Jesus walked around, it says in Acts chapter 10, healing the sick. He walked around and he cast demons out of people. He walked around and he could perform miracles when there were great needs and there was no store around. He could take a little bit of food and multiply it in order to feed thousands of people. See, we often don't think like that in the Western world. We often don't think like that in our context. But Jesus was in places where he needed supernatural results, and he knew exactly how to do that. So that when we come to Christ and we read the book about the God that we follow, and then the Bible says that we're to be like him and we're to follow him, there comes a point where we're like, look, if I'm going to follow him and I'm going to do some of these things, we have to recognize there is absolutely no way that we can do that except that the Holy Spirit shows up in our life like he did in the life of Jesus. And so we've got to make a choice. Either we believe that God wants to do the same things in and through us, or he doesn't. But that is a theological choice that we make. Of course, it is our belief, uh, it is our doctrine here at our church we believe that God just doesn't reserve powerful things for really spiritual and gifted people or specially anointed. We believe that the body of Christ is connected to the head vitally through the Holy Spirit. And therefore, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives and wants to live through you and I. We believe that. I want to remind you of what you believe tonight as we make our way towards a place of prayer in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, it's a very familiar passage. We notice here that after Jesus ascends to be with the Father and telling his disciples in Acts chapter 1 to go into Jerusalem and wait until the promise of the Father comes, which is the power of the Holy Spirit, or we call the baptism with the Holy Spirit, they are now in that place awaiting the foretold promise. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, I'm going to read to 4. It says, when the day of Pentecost had come, which was that, that time appointed for the outpouring, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves as they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Everybody say filled. 
They were filled. It wasn't just a little bit, but they were filled to capacity with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in spiritual languages. The Bible says tongues, but that's a simple word for, for other languages. As the Spirit was giving them utterance. The disciples who walked with Jesus for three and almost three and a half years, they heard the best teaching from the greatest teacher on the face of the earth. Nobody will ever get better teaching than straight from the mouth of Jesus the Christ. And that teaching, although it was the truth, not a truth, it was the truth from the one who claims himself to be the truth, although they had the best teaching on the planet from the best teacher on the planet, teaching was not enough. Jesus said, go into Jerusalem and wait for the power. They knew that they were called to continue his mission and ministry, but he told them, you can't and you won't do that until... And so here in this moment, we read, they received that power that Jesus told them to wait for and how they have this expectation in their heart. Now that expectation is satisfied. And it is from this moment on, as you read the book of Acts, miracles, signs, wonders, gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're just filling up the pages of the book of Acts. 30 miracles it actually talks about. There are 30 different years covered, but many miracles, unusual things that had happened. I mean, when you read the book of Acts, you just have to scratch your head. Sometimes they try to mimic that stuff on Christian television, like with the handkerchiefs and all that kind of stuff. But it was just raw power would just flow out of people, common people even. And God would show up in such a profound way, just page after page, year after year, day after day in the book of Acts, the power of God showed up. These people that followed Jesus were not left to accomplish his mission by natural means, friends. They were not. And neither are you and I. We are not meant to just go about trying to be really good, really nice people. And hopefully, if we're good enough, that maybe we'll win a couple people over to how amazing we are. I want you to just stop trying to just win people over by your niceness. Now, we all, some of us especially, need to be a little nicer in our life. All right? I'm not absolving you of your responsibility to be a little bit nicer. That's not my point. But my point is, is that Christianity is not simply about a better version of morality. Okay? Jesus is the way. Jesus, it was embodied righteousness. I mean, he was all of that. So what we see in him, we certainly want in us. But what I'm saying is, is that you've lived life long enough to know that you're not a good enough person to woefully win over every person in your life, or you would have already done it. If my life was so great, and everything about me was just so obvious, then I was so distinct from every other human being that doesn't know Jesus, then I would have won everybody. My door would get knocked on all the time. Come on, it's the truth. And so, yes, we are maturing into the likeness of Jesus. We're looking more and more like him in nature and character and virtue, of course. Amen. We want to be like Christ. But I want to tell you something. If that is what we're banking on to get the job done, I want to tell you there is more than that. And thank God that there is. Thank God that what we're talking about is he gives us power to accomplish his mission. And we need to have expectation for greater things in our lives. And that's what I want to boost tonight. Paul said this to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 4.20. He said, the kingdom of God does not consist of words, but in power. But in power. 
Who was he talking to? Well, he was talking to a lot of people who really trusted in the eloquence of speech. Oh, they loved good teaching. They loved great philosophy. They would get together out there in, in these different places, um, and the philosophers would give it their best go. And there's even a point in one of his letters where it says, or the book of Acts, rather, where the people that were listening, I think it was in Athens, and they're like, what is this new teaching that we were hearing? They weren't interested because it was just the gospel. It was like they were looking at him as a philosopher. They were looking at Paul as somebody who had a new style of teaching. And I wonder if it's a little bit better than the other philosophers, but there was something different about what Paul was saying because there was a seed in it. There was power in it, that when the gospel is shared, there's power in that message. It's not another man's philosophy. It's not an ideology. It has power. And so Paul would say things to the Corinthians who were just enthralled with debate and speech and philosophy and eloquence. He said, the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. And I want to tell you that the church must believe these words. See, sometimes I think that we in theory, we do believe it, and I'm not indicting you any more than myself, but I'm just saying that in the Western world, in a Western mindset, in the context for which we often live, and it can be all over the world as well, but even just look for a moment at the way that this whole sanctuary is set up. It's set up for a lecture. I mean, we worship, and that's one thing that we do here, but if you think about it, it just reminds most people that aren't believers of school. They're like, what do Christians do? This weird thing where they just like, they go to school. It's like they're never done with school. They just sort of have this lecture hall set up, and they perpetually are, they don't realize that we're talking about the book that's the word of God, it's the word of life, that it's from God, written through human authors, and that it's, you know, they don't believe what we believe, and so they think it's sort of a strange thing. But it looks like we're just set up for talk. And that can be the temptation. The temptation could be, give me a good teaching. And then we say, amen. And then we're, 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 we're done and we go home. But we've got to press past a good teaching. Friends, I'm telling you, it isn't just about teaching. We need good teaching. We want sound doctrine. We want it to be solid. But it is not enough. Paul right here is saying the kingdom of God does not merely consist in words, but power. And Paul said this to them several times. I think it's important for us to recognize we have more power living inside of us than the atomic mass of the sun. I'm saying some crazy stuff tonight. You okay with it? I'm doing it anyways. Because the one that made the sun lives in you. Now, either that's a theory or a theological statement or it's a reality. The one that created the sun, the moon, the stars lives in you. Do you believe that? Okay, the one that created this massive fireball in the sky and had, there's this atomic mass of the sun. I'm making a statement. Do you believe that there's more power in you than what is in that sun up there? Why? The same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in me. I mean, that just sounds crazy. What do you do with that? I mean, it sings a good song, but does it pray a good prayer? Come on, does it... Does it get any further than a good teaching and an amazing clap and a standing ovation and an amen, let's come on, let's go out to lunch? I mean, what do we do with this type of statement? That's why I'm trying to boost this in your mind. A strange illustration that came to my mind was this. During World War II, America started building atomic bombs. 
The atomic bombs that were built in those days obviously could level cities, and we proved it, as, as many of you well know. Basically, an atomic bomb was built on six grams of uranium. Okay, uranium. I've never seen any, but uranium is this precious thing, supposedly. It's this deposit that comes out of the earth, and they always, they had it before they begin to build atomic bombs, but they did not know how to activate the power of it. Well, in this construction of the atomic bomb, they figured out how to take six grams of uranium and activate it so that it could become the bomb that it was. You know how much six grams is? That's a penny. That's all it took. It's a penny's worth of uranium is all it took to level an, an, an entire city, 20 million people. Now, I mean, it's an cre- incredible atrocity, and I mean no disrespect, I'm not, none at all. But I'm just telling you, the power was always inside the uranium, but somebody had to figure out how to activate it. Now, here's what I want to tell you tonight. That serves as, as an illustration. The power of God, according to Scripture, lives in us, but we've got to figure out how to activate it. And that's the question you're asking tonight, and I'm so glad I'm going to share with you some thoughts that I have. Share with you some thoughts that I have. What is power? Power is the supernatural ability from the Holy Spirit to make wrong things right. The Holy Spirit is the bringer of the power. The greatest effect of God's power, perhaps, though, is a transformed life. It takes supernatural power to turn a cold heart on fire. Have you ever spoken to or been someone that has had a cold heart? It is like speaking to the wall. You cannot change that person. It takes power to change someone. It takes power to set someone free from an immoral bondage. It takes power to set someone free from an illness or an infirmity. And we're talking about crazy things that we see about in scripture that the, the, the deaf will hear and the the dead will raise, and the blind will see. Humans cannot do this, but God can. It takes power to see somebody set free from a demonic darkness. Jesus did this, the apostles did this, and so do do many others who believe in God's power. If we're gonna pursue God's power, here's a couple things I wanna share with you, and I only have a few minutes. Number one, if you wanna pursue the power of God, if you really want to, not kind of, not it would be nice, not as an addition or as an addendum to the Christian life, but seeing it through the eyes of Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 through 4 and the book of Acts, knowing that we as the disciples, the extended disciples of Jesus in 2021, either we're supposed to have that power flowing and working in our lives or we're not. And I believe that we are. How do we have that happen? Number one, we first have to cut off all escape routes. That's right. (laughs) We've got to deal with the excuses first because there are reasons that you and I get out of living the kind of life that caters toward the power of God. There are things that we believe, there are things that we say, and there are things that we do. Some of those things are theological. We sort of rationalize the absence of power. We say things like, it's not my gift, and it's no longer happening happening today, or I'm not really that holy, or I didn't really have a good enough day, and so I better, I start to shrink back instead of pray up. See, I try to do things that, or say things that sort of cut me off from pursuing the power of God in my life to do the works of Jesus. Some of them are theological. Some of them are theological. Sometimes we substitute the power of God 
for abilities or skills, programs, serving, good teaching. And we can do that. It's, it's so easy to do. In these days, one of the things that I, you can hold me accountable to in a nice way, I'll hold you accountable as well, is that the Lord does not want us just to do services and close the service and say amen, but we've got to give people opportunities to come to Christ. We've got to give people opportunities to be healed. We've got to give people opportunities to be delivered. And it can't just be once a week. It's got to be every time we gather. It has to be every single time because teaching is not enough. How many times we're sitting here and somebody's ready to take their life? Somebody's taking too many pills and they should. Somebody's looking at stuff that they shouldn't. Somebody's involved in a relationship that they should be leaving behind. Somebody is just filled with all kinds of pain from their past. Somebody's grieving a loss and doesn't know, they don't know how to get beyond that. But power can help people get beyond those kinds of things where you and I on our best day can't help somebody do the next thing or take the the next step that they need to. We may not know. A person comes to me with a problem I'm not the expert. Understand, God is the expert. God has the answers. And our job is to facilitate an encounter with the living God and get out of the way as much as possible. Well, we can't substitute the power of God. That's an escape route. And we can't be satisfied with lesser things. And this is what Paul said to the Corinthians again, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4. He said, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Do not rest your faith on the wisdom or the words of a man or a woman. Rest your faith on the power of the living God to do for you what nobody else can do. We have to do that as a church. So often we give ourselves to the words of a person, and that's fine. I, I love good teaching. I, I, I love good voices and, and all of that's great. But it ultimately needs to facilitate the greatest voice in our life, which is the voice of our shepherd. And Paul said, I don't want you to rely on anything less than God's power to change you, to transform you from the inside out, to do inside you what only God can do. Now, this is just one of the uh, Things that we must be aware of if we're going to pursue God's power. We have to be aware of our escape routes, okay? We can't, we got to cut them off. Cut off the escape routes. No excuses, all right? No excuses. Number two, you have to exercise what faith you have right now. Now, I know a couple of us, we're waiting to get our faith up, aren't we? We're waiting to get our faith up a little bit. I'm going to pray that prayer when I get a little more spiritual. I'm going to start praying, Pastor Ben, I'm, gonna, I'm really going to go for it when I, start, when I start feeling it, you know, when I'm really revving in the Lord. You know, I've had a real good week. I read my Bible all week. I prayed my prayers every night. I've done it, Pastor Ben. It's, just, it's like eating your Wheaties in the morning. I've done my spiritual weedy thing. I've done, it's good. It's good. Pastor Ben, I'm ready. I'm ready for it. No, okay? That's not how this works. We have to be where we are and exercise the faith that we have. Okay, nobody is going to pursue the power of God if they don't take what they have and plant it right now. Look at what Jesus says. Now, this is, again, I'm taking some liberty on this passage. I'm using it as a spiritual principle. It's about forgiveness, and I know that because we want to always be true to context. I understand what it's about, but it's still the spiritual principle. So, okay, you need to pick up what I'm laying down here. Luke 17, verse 5. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had the faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. 
Now, this is a really funny thing because Jesus is talking to them about forgiveness and they're, they're asking the question, well, who can be forgiven? And Jesus talks about their faith and they go, increase our faith. They say this in response to Jesus, like we can't do what you're talking about. So give us more faith. Jesus, you just told us that we're supposed to do something that we can't do. Give us more faith. If you give us more faith, then we'll do what you're saying, right? That's the idea, right? If you give me more of this, then I'll do what you're talking about. And what does Jesus say to him? Look at this. I'm going to read it to you now. If you had the faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. If you had the faith of a mustard seed. In other words, all you have to have is a little bit, and if you take the little bit that you have, you're going to see a lot of it happen. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you don't need me to increase your faith. You've just got to use the faith that you've got. But you're asking for more of something instead of using what you have. If you don't use what you have, you're not going to get more. That's not the way that it works in the spirit. You don't get more before you use what you have. It just doesn't work that way. So what do we know? It's not about getting an increase. It's about planting what we have now. Do you have enough faith to pray for someone? Do you have enough faith to pray over someone? Do you have enough courage? Do you have enough faith to go after something in the Lord? Do you have enough faith to talk to someone? When I teach evangelism classes, I see it happen all the time. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not good at evangelism. I hear all this stuff all the time. Friends, it's not about that. It's about being willing to try. It's about willing to, being willing to take a step. And you're going to make all kinds of mistakes. Can I tell you something? Can I give you a real secret? And I know all of you by the Spirit are saying yes. If you don't try, you're not going to grow. But if you try, you're not always going to get it right. There isn't always a miracle on the other end of your trying, but the greatest miracle of us trying to step out is that God gives us more faith as we do, and then all of a sudden, by the time we get to the seventh person or the tenth person, now we meet the person that God wanted us to meet. Now we get to speak into the person's life that God was getting us from here all the way over to there, but we've got the courage to move forward at this point. But a lot of what God does, he works it out as we plant the seeds of faith that we have. It's just the way it works. We tend to stand there and go, I just, I, just, I just don't got very much, you know. Can I tell you, this is where the power of God starts. It starts with what's in your hand. It doesn't look like much, does it? It doesn't look like the power and the glory and the miracles and the signs and the one. It just looks like a little tiny seed. And Jesus actually says, yep. That's where it's at right there. That little thing right there, that's going to become the biggest plant in the whole garden. You watch. That little thing right there is going to become the biggest plant in the whole garden. You watch. But how many of us don't plant what's in our hand? How do you see the power of God? Number three, pray and fast for power. We have to pray and fast for power. I've talked to you many times in the last couple years about prayer it's not about just having a greater revelation of prayer. It's about praying. It's about praying. Do you do it perfectly? No. Are all of us eloquent when we pray? Probably not. Do I stumble and fumble in my words when I get really passionate? Does it embarrass me? Not anymore. 
No more than a three-year-old or a four-year-old gets embarrassed in front of their parents when they start fumbling over their words. And do their parents look down and go, oh, I just wish you, wish you would get your act together and start speaking a little bit better? No, parents never even think like that, do they? Do the parents ever think like, you know, I mean, maybe in some cultures, I don't know, like I'm starting to think about some prim and proper folk, but I, the father delights in his kids, right? And even when things don't make sense, he probably just goes, oh, isn't that cute? He, he just loves us. You know, he's just overwhelmed with love for us that we would talk to him. And of course, he answers us powerful. Pray and fast for power. You know, in Acts chapter four, when they prayed and they fasted for power, you, you know what it says? It says the place where they were praying shook. Physically, it shook. When Paul and Silas were in the jail cell and they began to pray and sing at 12 o'clock and everybody was listening to them thinking they were crazy. It says an earthquake came and it broke open all the doors. Do you believe that happened? I believe that happened. I believe when we prayed last week, we broke something open. Sometimes people will say, well, man, all hell's breaking loose. Good. It shouldn't be bound over anything. Sometimes we got to loosen that thing out so that hell can leave and heaven can come. That's what we're doing. We're praying that God would begin to move in power. And we've got to start by believing that God will do that. And that's why we gather together and God begins to challenge us. We're fasting and praying that people would get saved. We're fasting and praying that the supernatural of God would occur. The Bible says you have not because you ask not in the book of James. It's so simple. We'd see more healing if we prayed more prayers. We'd see more deliverance if we were more honest. We would see God do more things as a result of us just simply stepping forward. That's, that's often what I've seen. I've, I've wondered in my life, whenever I've seen, not to centralize this on me, but I've often wondered why God ever used me. Have you ever felt like that in your life? I've often wondered, God, why do you even use, like, why? And I don't need an encouragement after the service. I'm just being, I'm just trying to be vulnerable with you. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not joking. I've thought that, Lord, why would you use me like that? And the reality is, is that God will use anybody. God will use anybody. He doesn't play favorites. You know, you might like, I'm not the smartest or I'm not the most eloquent or I'm not the most this, but can you believe? Can you pray? Can you press in toward God? Can you push in? Friend, if you can do that, I'll tell you what, most people have not because they just simply ask not. And some people have because they ask. And other people go, well, why did they have all that stuff happening? Maybe it's because they've been asking while you've been criticizing. Uh-oh. Maybe God just wants, he wants to release that burden of prayer that we talked about last week. That he wants to release that burden of prayer. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Some people want no burden at all. No, the burden of Jesus still feels like something, but it's light. We can carry it with him. But we can't not want his burden. His burden is the burden for the world. It's the burden for people. It's the burden for souls. It's the burden to see people saved, to see people discipled, to see wrong things be made right. And the last thing I'm saying to you tonight is simply this. As we pursue the power of God, it's not for power's sake. It's not for our sake. We need to pursue friendship with Jesus more than power because in my experience, power comes out of an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. 
All the power in this life comes from being with Jesus. And tonight, I want to ask God freshly for his power. And I want to do that by starting out here. I want to ask God to release this power in our lives. And not just for us, but through us. If you want to receive, you cannot retain. You have to release it too. If you want to receive more of God, you've got to be willing to release the more of God in your life. It's a flow. The river of God wants to flow through the people of God. And that's what he wants to do. And so I want to pray for God to release that river in this place. Here's what I'm believing for. I'm believing that people will come to our church whether by many or few, and folks don't even have to lay hands on them. They just get healed in worship. I've seen it happen. I've seen people that couldn't see right, and they just lifted their hands in worship, and God healed them. People that had migraine headaches for a long, long time, all of a sudden, as they begin to worship God, those headaches went away, and they realized that in a week's time, I haven't had this happen to me, and nobody laid hands on me. Nobody even prayed, but they didn't know we were praying. They didn't know we were praying during pre-service prayer and we were praying on a Wednesday night and we were praying on Sunday mornings and we were praying in our homes. They didn't know we were praying. They said, well, nobody prayed for me. Friend, people prayed for you. We've been praying for everyone in this church. Sometimes people walk in here and they feel like all of a sudden they encounter the presence of God and I've had people tell me I just begin to cry and something in me begins to get healed and they're like, what is that? Friend, that's the power of God. That's what that is. We know exactly what that is, but we need more of that. That's what we need. We cannot rely on ourselves. Right now, some of us in the room, we've got some things that we're facing, and there's a test before the testimony, but the power of God comes and transforms what we're walking through into what, what God, where God wants us to get to. That's what happens. That's what God wants to do, and that's what we're believing for. I'm believing for people. I'm asking God for the burnt stones to come to our church. You know what I mean? I'm asking God to fill up the church with people, the unlikely characters. Come on, the ones that you question whether or not you're going to sit next to when you see them on Saturday or Sunday. I'm asking God to fill up the church with those people, not just so that they sit here, but that they get changed by the power of God. And I don't need them just to come here. We'll go out there too. It's fine with me, wherever we got to go, whatever we got to do. But these are the prayers that we've got to pray. And believe that a mighty God is going to answer what what it is that we're asking. Do you believe that tonight? Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.